Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a Lip Media Podcast. And welcome to the Sinister Sissies Podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man on man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, and I have a special guest today. I have Luke from The Gays Are Revolting. Oh welcome! My God. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Jared. It's, it's the first time he's seen me actually do the intro in, in person. So I know, it's, it's a bit... It, it's also the first time I've been introduced... On someone else's show. Oh, that's from the Gazer Revolt. Yeah, so it's a, it's actually quite confronting. Although I'm super excited because whenever I bring up, I don't want to narrow you to the podcast. Is there something else that you're known for? No, well, probably nothing. Not nothing on record. Nothing on record <laughs> that I would say right now. But um, I, I think our producer knows how much he has to cut out of our show because I go into tangents about. People getting killed or set on fire and or eaten alive. You're um, in a safe place to be as morbid and fucked up as possible. Tonight. So I'm excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be here tonight. And uh, it's very exciting, the topic that we're discussing today. It is on Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, what I think is the greatest gay love story never told. It's a real troublesome t- uh, duo. Yes. Troublesome duo, sorry. <laughs> and... Uh, it was one, I think this case is kind of interesting because it's on the periphery of a lot of other stories. I hadn't realized who they were until I specifically went and looked at it and went, ah, oh, oh no, it's that guy. It's, it's oh, the... do you know one of them from like a film or something? Well, Henry, Henry, a the portrait of a serial killer, a portrait of a serial killer. Yes. I, I think I had the VHS you know, it was one of those blockbuster rentals you'd have to sneak in yeah. with a bunch of other stuff so Dad would let you get it. Yeah. Um, I'd never realised that that was connected. I thought that was just... Otis is also in that film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd never connected the dots. And 
I'm glad that we get to give a bit more infamy, I guess. <laughs> so, like, the difficult thing in doing a duo or a couple, as we should say, uh, is that the early lives of both Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, I mean, you could make a movie out of any of their early childhoods. They're so bizarre and oh, disturbing. I Even the quick look that I had at Henry's upbringing... Sounded like a David Lynch film. Horrific. <laughs> and I'm going to note the horrific parts of their childhood, and that is not excusing their crimes, but it may help explain their crimes. Yeah, it's... it's. I, I'll let Jared get into it, but I think it's fascinating when you see these two people with sort of parallel traumas... Yes end up in kind of the same place later on in life. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it... It's as if they were meant to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is, a, there is a twist of fate. It's, it's a real heartwarming story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let, let's start with Henry Lee Lucas. Uh, Henry was born on the 23rd of August, 1936, mm. in Blacksburg, Virginia. At the age of 10, he lost an eye after it became infected uh, following a fight. Yeah, yeah. And by all accounts, uh, Henry was a very uh, troublesome child, very attention-seeking, uh, and that was probably because home life wasn't so great. Henry's mother was a sex worker, and nothing wrong with that as a profession, but she also was strangely abusive. She used to watch, she used to make Henry watch her have sex with clients. Yeah. And a component which uh, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole share, um, Henry's mother used to dress him up with clothes, girls' clothes, in order to embarrass him. Um, So dress him up in dresses um, in order to humiliate him. I didn't get, yeah. Okay, it was an embarrassment thing. Because I saw that parallel, so both of them were forced by their mothers. And it was the mother in both cases. In in, in to... Otis Tool's case, the mother dressed him up and used to call him Susan. Yeah. When I read it, I felt a bit sane, to be honest. And I like, <laughs> like, I don't want to bring the other the other podcast into this, but when, when I was younger, this is such a stupid tangent. Go. And you can cut this out if you want. My grandmother, my grandmother had Alzheimer's mm. when I was growing up and... She lived in a shack in our backyard. Okay. Because, yeah, I know. Because my father was taking care of her. Um, I think it's called a granny flat. Yeah. You don't need to call it a shack. No, she was literally the witch in the backyard (laughs) to me growing up. Yes. Because my parents couldn't explain what Alzheimer's was to me. They didn't have the language. Um, But she would do this terrifying thing when I was a kid where she would come out... Um, into the backyard at any given moment and she'd scream and point at me but she'd call me Lucy mm. and and she'd misgender me yes. and be like little Lucy oh you're a pretty little girl and really a pretty little girl <laughs> look at me now <laughs> uh, but something about that was I think when when you're a kid and gender roles is like so enforced on you mm. And you know, you already have the inkling that you don't quite fit in because puberty is right around the corner and you're going to figure it out pretty soon. Uh, Questioning that specific thing or like 
kind of making fun of you in that area because you haven't figured it out yet. Mm. Um, I think it's a really effect. Like it really had an effect on me growing up. By by all accounts, not mother of the year. <laughs> Uh, and his father has an even more ridiculous uh, story attached to him. I can't wait to use. <laughs> in uh, in 1949, Lucas's father, uh, Anderson, whose legs had been severed in a railroad accident, we're not giving any context as to what that involved. Yeah, no. Um, died of hypothermia after going out drunk and collapsing outside in a blizzard. <laughs> if there were... If you were going to go out in any way, if if someone was going to... That would actually be kind of pleasant, actually. The letting go of it all. Yeah, like <laughs> drunk in a blizzard. If someone was going to summarize my life in like a Wikipedia page of someone else... Yeah. The father's got a pretty good rap in this. He, he, he comes out as kind of... Do you know of, what? It's like the, the opening lines of a good novel. I'm intrigued to know more about exactly. his life. <laughs> Exactly. Like, what was this railroad accident? It, it just reminds me of, like, a Fellini film or something, yeah. where there's just, like, a, a, a legless man in the corner dragging himself out into a blizzard. Um, it, it, it just it hasn't really set Henry up to succeed in well, life. Well, this particular event, his father dying in the incident that he did, um, that resulted in him running ar- running away when he was in sixth grade in the US. So how old would that make him? 12? Yeah, I'd say. About 12. Um, shortly after this in 1951 is when Henry claims he killed his first victim. As we will see going forward... I don't trust what Henry says. Yes. However, this is what Henry said occurred and what was his first victim. Uh, he said his first victim was 17-year-old Laura Burnsley, who he um, tried to hit on. She refused his sexual advances, and so he strangled her to death. That, that is his narrative. Um, we'll see in the future, though, that that he um, was given a lot of names of a lot of unsolved murders, yeah. and he put his hand up for a lot of things that that you could raise an eyebrow as to whether or not it was correct. It's only starting. It's it a- is. It's only, this is the first. This is the first potential lie. The first kind of myth. Yeah. Um, just to, again, complex lives, just to yada, yada, yada about yeah. over his more complex lives. He, um, was convicted of burglary. Uh, when he was in prison for burglary, he escaped prison and then came Classic. back in. <laughs> so there's all those fun adventures. Um, he was eventually released in 1959. In 1960, January 11th, 1960, uh, Henry got into an argument with his mother and then he struck her over the head with a broom and then stabbed her in the neck, killing his mother. Mm. Uh, during trial, he claimed that this occurred in self-defense. That didn't hold up. And uh, Henry uh, was sentenced to between 20 and 40 years imprisonment. However, he only served 10 years and was released in uh, June of 1970. Ah, Okay. So I I thought the mother murder was sort of lumped in with the pylon of murders we're going to get to. So Uh, he served his time for mum. He didn't, actually. So his his minimum sentence was 20 years. His maximum sentence was 40 years. 
they released him out in 10 years due to prison overcrowding. Ah. So, so uh, the system works. The, the, <laughs> state, the state has a bit to answer for, for the crimes of Henry Lee Lucas. All right, so that's Henry. That's where Henry is in about 1970. Let's let's take a little bit of a gander at Otis Toole. Jump over to our second <laughs> I think, story. I don't know if you feel this way, but um, of the duo, I have more sympathy for Otis. Totally. I, I, I kept gravitating back to Otis mm. and his story because um, there was a lot less ego, I think, there. And... and it felt like even post all of this going down, Henry's the one that's got the most um, infamy out of it. And, mm. and uh, poor Otis just, poor Otis is just like the Eeyore of this kind of story. Just with a lot We're, more blood. Also kind of looks like an Eeyore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's because he looks a bit. You picture like gay serial killers you kind of want them to be these like really hot muscly oh, guys like Bruce LeBruce <laughs> kind of um Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool are not that it, it's it, I think Otis is kind of the like what you pictured when you ordered it online versus when it arrives meme yes you know that kind of thing that is yeah the, the Otis kind of experience. <laughs> so, Otis Toole was born the 5th of March, 1947, in Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville Florida. Mm. Um, uh, common theme here, Toole's father was an alcoholic, um, but rather than dying, Toole's father abandoned him. <laughs> His abusive mother dressed him up in girls' clothes and called him Susan. Susan, yeah. Um, the relevance of that, I'm not too sure. Uh, Tool was sexually assaulted by several people in his life, including close relatives and a, a neighbor. Um, it, it's important to note as well, kind of going forward, particularly when we're looking at the confessions that Tool um, was suffering from what was deemed mild mental retardation with an IQ of about 75. He also had and this is quite interesting. He also had a, a particular form of uh, epilepsy, which yeah. results in grand mal seizures. Now, the reason that that's important is that there is a statistically significant correlation between grand mal seizures and yeah. serial killing. No. Yes. Um, and they think it's because this, this particular form of, of, of seizure is related to impulse control. So, okay. so over time, if you have these grand mal seizures over time, that, that you actually inhibit your impulse control centers. And it's some very interesting research looking at the correlations between this, this, this form of epilepsy uh, and killing. So our receptionist has epilepsy. Hmm. Should I ask her what? <laughs> I don't think it's... <laughs> well, maybe you should just to protect, to protect yourself. <laughs> Also, whilst Otis was growing up, he had a fascination with fires. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, I wasn't sure. It, was it a sexual fascination with fires? Or? The things I had read said he had a very, very strong connection between a sexual desire and urge and the lighting and... and um, Look, fire is fascinating. Fire. I, I love fire. I <laughs> yeah. get it. I, I, I will admit... I'm 
a pretty vanilla sex guy, but I can light the flame in front of you. Uh, I yeah, look, that makes sense to me. I can I can empathize. Uh, no surprises here. He is a smoker. <laughs> <laughs> but but to me, I was like, oh yeah, I get it. Fire is sexy. Unlike Henry, who was in his later teens when he offended for the first time, um, uh, Tool committed his first murder when he was 14. Okay. Um, His claim is that he was propositioned by a man um, uh, to sell sex because part of his abuse was um, that his neighbour would uh, essentially sell him um, to, to other men in the oh, neighborhood. Oh, to pimp him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and an older man propositioned him for sex and Tool ran him over um, with a car. That, that, is, okay. that is, by his account, the first time that he killed a man. Uh, Tool was arrested at the age of 17 for loitering um, and actually served, ta- t- served a period of ja- in jail for that offense. And that's another risk factor that we don't have to talk about. Um, people going into prison for minor offences actually increases your likelihood to be violent in the future. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, if we think of exposure to trauma, Tool was exposed to trauma in childhood. I'm assuming in any kind of custodial situation, he would have been further exposed to trauma. Kind of increases that, mm. that um, issue. Between uh, the years of... Uh, 1966 and 1973, um, there, I mean, Tool supported himself by panhandling and sex work. He, um, is suspected of killing, um, two women during this time, 24-year-old Patricia Webb and 31-year-old, uh, Alan Holman, okay. although Tool never confessed to these crimes. This is just speculation that they think that this occurred. In Early uh, 1975, um, Tool was actually married to a woman. Ah, okay. Uh, 25 this, years older than him. Is this a very short-lived marriage? <laughs> I think uh, early 1975, they got married. Yeah. Uh, January 1976, she left. Yeah. Uh, and she left after she realised that uh, Otis w- was gay. Yeah. And that's what leads us to our romantic period of the podcast. Because <laughs> these two figures separated, separated by distance, uh, separated by geography, um, similar struggles. They yeah. Both killed people at the stage. Um, they're just at a soup kitchen, um, one day, soup kitchen in, I believe, Florida, I may be incorrect on that, um, both entering into a soup kitchen, Henry looks up from his soup, looks at Otis, <laughs> Otis looks back with his little grin, and his one eye, oh, sorry, <laughs> and his one eye, eye. Uh, and that's when they meet for the first time, and in fact, the first night they met, they fucked. Yes. <laughs> Wikipedia is very blunt about this, in fact. <laughs> the fact that they met and had sex shortly thereafter. And I think every gay man that read that went, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just what happened. Of course they did. So, uh, 
often it's 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 odd how Henry and Otis's um, relationship is described in various true crime websites and stuff like that. So yeah, some people describe them as as friends. Some people describe them as kind of lovers, so that they weren't like intimately connected, but they fucked on the reg. Yeah. Um, or some people say that they they were in a serious relationship for at least a number of years. Um, one thing is clear, though, things got a lot more complicated when Otis Toole introduced Henry to Otis's niece, uh, Becky. Her name is Frida, but they called her Becky. I don't understand. It's a yeah. redneck thing. <laughs> yeah. It, it, this is, I think, the start of the blurring yes. of stories as well. Um, looking into this on my own... It, it's a story that's so open to interpretation by so many different people. And I think the soup kitchen is where things start to get really murky mm. in terms of how people are reporting and, and what is out there. I've got from the mid 1970s to the early 1980s. Yeah. So many different narratives. Some, some don't even connect the two as having any relationship mm. to each other whatsoever. Mm. They open a sentence with, they had sex that night, and that is the only reference to it uh, uh, at all. At all, yeah. Um, whereas others swing the complete other way, and this is some weird gay death, you know, relationship. Yes. Um, but I think it's the, the start. I th- it gets even murkier, I think. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So what I have is, so, so, um, from the period of the mid-1970s, so when they first met in 1976, to the early 1980s, about 1981, there, I've got kind of two main narratives that have happened, that is, that have happened here. Either it is a weird drifter road trip between a a man, his male lover, and his male lover's niece, who is also his lover. Yes. (laughs) Either it's this kind of wacky road adventure. A classic tale. (laughs) Where they're they're committing petty crimes, and there's there's things to establish that they committed thefts and things like that as they travelled around. Um, at, at various points, Otis went out on his own and Henry and, and Becky, I should mention, Becky was 13 at this stage. When I'm saying there's a oh, relationship, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a relationship. There's some, yeah. Um, so either it's this like wacky redneck road trip <laughs> or, or I just started hearing banjos in, yes. in my head and it's so inappropriate. Or it is the worst period of serial killings committed by two people ever in the United States history. Yeah. Um, and they're the two narratives here. And I'll explain in the moment, in a moment why this got so convoluted, but let's, let's discuss things that we 
do know in terms of crimes that, that were committed or at least have been substantiated by both uh, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole and by the authorities. Yeah. So I'm focusing on those that we've had three people say, yes, this happened. In May of 1980, uh, Lucas and Toole kidnapped um, two young girls ages four and five in California. Uh, neither stated the motivation for the original kidnapping. Um, however, Lucas claimed that he sexually assaulted the five-year-old, uh, whilst Otis Toole chose not to sexually assault her and um, beat the four-year-old to death. After Henry was done, he then beat the five-year-old to death. In 1981, we have some evidence, but not conclusive evidence, that Otis Toole abducted six-year-old Adam Walsh uh, yeah. from a shopping centre and knocked him unconscious. Uh, Otis claimed that he abducted Adam Walsh in order to adopt him as his son. However, once the young boy started to panic and call for his parents, Otis changed his mind, strangled young Adam Walsh to death with a seatbelt, dragged him out of his car and decapitated him with a machete. Mm. And the reason that this, this particular case gets a lot of attention is um, Adam Walsh is the son of John Walsh, who is the guy that founded America's Most Wanted. At some point, there is a quote, I think, from Otis saying he actually drove around with the head his in his car and forgot mm. that it was there. In 1982, Henry Lee Lucas met 23-year-old Deborah Jackson, Deborah Jackson um, in Oklahoma, and they had consensual sex. After Deborah refused Henry's later sexual advances, he killed her, um, had sex with her corpse, and then dumped her body over the interstate. Um, and Deborah was only identified, formally identified, a couple of years ago. Up until then, she was known as Orange Socks. Oh, this is Orange Socks. This is Orange Socks. Oh. Um, she was identified, I believe, in 2008. Okay. Um, but up until then, she was she was a Jane Doe. Um, yeah. And they knew, they, they would call her Orange Socks because mm. that was the only... The thing she was wearing. Thing that she was wearing. The last killing that, that I have as a confirmed, confirmed all three, um, around 1983, times a bit off here, Otis Toole met 19-year-old Ada Johnson at a bar, um, and we don't know the full circumstances, but he shot her in the head and then mutilated her body with a knife. In terms of later narratives that uh, Henry Lee Lucas confessed to and Otis Toole confessed to, uh, many more murders could have happened. And indeed, given, given how, how much they, they actually killed during this period of time, probably did happen. Yes, yeah. Um, however, the, the estimates of that are, are, are quite, quite confusing, estimates ranging from, you know, a couple of hundred to at one point Henry Lucas was claiming that they killed 3,000 as a couple 
over what would have been like a seven or eight year period. That's some diligence that is putting in the hours, 3,000. But I've, I've seen interviews with Otis where he was pretty quick to answer that he'd killed a about 120 people. Mm. You know, rough estimate. He's Someone's asking him off the bat. How many uh, you killed? How many people have you killed? And he's like, mm. yeah, 120, I think. Mm. Uh, the disparity between the confirmed three-party cases, um, sitting around, what was that, like five or six? Uh, at this stage... In terms of this year, by yeah. kind of nineteen early nineteen eighties, we're only sitting at about seven. Seven, yeah, as opposed to one hundred and twenty, it's huge. Like, mm. and I, I'm sure the answer is somewhere in between. Those two. So, so, and and the other thing is, I mean, when you look at these kills up until now, obviously they're fucking horrific, and they still with quite young children. Um, but it's only in later confessions that we get this 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 narrative of cannibalism. Okay. Of Otis um, consuming uh, consuming flesh of the victims. Um, I mean, Otis in one interview uh, made comments talking about the fact that 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 um, victims taste like roasted piglet, um, and that they differ by age. Oh, I'd never. Uh, it's it's. But the thing is, I I'm not as inclined to believe these those sorts of statements. Totally, I well, try and stick to what we kind of know. There's a weird little diversion you can go when looking into the story too. Um, so I think this all kind of came to light while they were incarcerated. Mm. Um, but Otis was. I think it was Otis that was raised quite religious or he'd actually stated that his grandmother was a Satanist. Yes. Um, yes, that was Otis. And that she would take him to graveyards to dig up bones for satanic rituals. Mm. Um, this is, as bizarre as that sounds, this is a footnote on Wiki. Like, this is like yes. just a little addendum not even fully looked into. And at some point, this weird, you get weird mentions of a death cult um, that he's been indoctrinated into. Mm. And it all kind of reeks of um, throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. So to be if honest. we were to accept Henry Lee Lucas's and Otis Tool's narrative, right? Yeah. In this period of time, they killed 3,000 people. Yes. Ritualistically? Yes. In support of some sort of satanic goal? Yes. Where there would be cannibalism and often the focus was children um, over this period of time. The reason I'm calling bullshit on a lot of this is that you have to look at the time period in which they were arrested and then ultimately convicted where satanic cults, that panic was all the rage. Yeah, okay, yeah. If you were going to um, inflate your status yeah. as a killer, um, you would definitely go to the satanic cult. They were the narrative. RuPaul's drag race yes, they of were. serial killers <laughs> for that period. Like, it's it's a certain... I have heard of things with um, modern killers now that after they kill someone or do something like that, they'll claim that they were doing it on behalf of, say, Islamic State. 
oh. or things like that. So I actually think that there's probably a parallel there of um, you could think of Satanism in the late 1980s and early 1990s what Islamic terrorism is now. Yeah. As something that people claim to give their killing like a little bit of, a little bit of spice. Absolutely. And and the interview I had had seen, Otis said a lot of these kills were ordered from this hand of death or whatever it was, cult, mm. that specifically said, you need to kill this person. The amount of organization, I think, involved in that, <laughs> for an or- like a, a cult, some sort of organized religion. Also, if you've got to, to pick your fucking killers. Yeah. I don't think you'd pick Henry Lucas and Otis Tool. Like, if I, if you were this grand cult. Oh, absolutely. It, it's a bit of a farce. I I'm available to hire. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. There are many more capable. I'm morally ambiguous. So, to kind of go, go ground ourselves a little bit. Yeah. Um, through this period of time, at some point, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool parted ways. I don't. I haven't read anything that said that there was any animosity between them. Um, and uh, Henry Lee Lucas ended up shacking up with Becky. Yeah, it's a real. I feel like this is the Brokeback Mountain part of the story where they go and <laughs> they like ways. separate ways and they settle down. <laughs> Or, like, attempt to settle down. Settle down with his teenage wife. Yeah, with his 13-year-old <laughs> wife. Um, well, I think she's 15 in this at, by this stage. At this stage, yeah. Uh, so, Becky and Henry Lee Lucas end up getting some work working for this 82-year-old woman named Kate Rich in Texas. Oh. Um, they end up defrauding her and stealing her checks. Okay. Which, you know, those <laughs> rascals. It's good money <laughs> if you can get it. Uh, and, uh, at some point we know that Becky began to get homesick and in response to that and wanting to leave and in response to that, uh, Lucas killed both Becky and poor old 82 year old Katie Rich as well. Katie didn't need to, if this was a horror film, I'd say Katie didn't need to die at Mm. this point in Mm. the story. Maybe I have too many sociopathic tendencies that... I see things in narrative form. Mm. It lessens the importance of the Becky uh, kind of kill. Oh, yeah. To, to just have this collateral damage of Katie being... Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she doesn't need it. Um, give Katie a break. And look, so there's an interesting question to be asked about Becky. So Becky was killed. Um, and if we were to accept Henry and Otis's narrative... Becky was traveling with them throughout mm-hmm. this time. And so there yes. are some narratives with, which actually say that Becky may have been heavily involved in the murders. Mm. We have nothing to substantiate that, though. Yeah, I did see a little quote where they said it actually helped their cover to have yes. uh, a young woman a young woman with them and that she'd, say, wait in the car outside while they went in um, to rob and, and kill someone. Um, so it just, yeah, I, I think we're painting it kind of as like a fun, uh, hillbillies kind of ride. I mean, but, my narrative in my head is... In my head too. If they just committed petty crimes, I would be totally on board. If they were just like stealing cows or something. They'd be the Ned Kellys that, you, you know, like would have 
funny little figurines of them if they didn't slaughter people. Meanwhile, Otis, uh, yes. he had parted ways with Henry Lee Lucas. Um, and it actually started a relationship with a 64-year-old man named George Sonnenberg. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know this. It was a lover's quarrel. So... Uh, in January of 1982, uh, Tool got into a disagreement with George Sonnenberg, um, and uh, as a result of that, um, barricaded George into a room and then set the building on fire. Oh, okay, yeah. Otis um, was in custody, uh, strangely enough, for setting a fire. Uh, and he was in custody for an unrelated arson and whilst in custody for an unrelated arson, he confessed to the murder of Sonnenberg. He just couldn't quit those fires, could he? (laughs) Fascinating stuff. Uh, also in March of 1983, so soon after this, uh, Lucas was arrested for unlawful possession of a firearm and whilst in custody, he confessed Firstly, to the murder of Becky and Rich. Okay. And now is when things get quite, get quite confusing because ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, Otis Tool was convicted of seven murders and Henry Lee Lucas was convicted of 11. Mm. But this followed what was a very confusing series of confessions by mainly Henry Uh, Mainly Henry Lucas, uh, but also Otis. Yeah. So that period of time, that kind of redneck getaway that we were talking about, (laughs) um, uh, that's the period of time in which Henry appeared to confess to hundreds, if not thousands, of crimes. In fact, there was a particular task force set up just to corroborate Henry Lucas's confessions. No way called the Lucas Task Force. Now, we need to acknowledge the uh, shitty political uh, factors in this, in that police in various states had a number of unsolved murders on their books. That they needed to do something with. And a lot of them involved um, unidentified victims, so John Doe's and Jane Doe's. And anything that Henry Lucas said that connected him or Otis to those crimes allowed them to close those cases. Yeah. Uh, And one of the biggest criticisms of this and why you will see um, figures saying that that Henry Lucas and Otis Tool killed hundreds, maybe thousands of people, uh, the reason people are critical of that is that there isn't a lot of supporting evidence. Basically, if Henry said that, oh, when Otis and I were in Texas, we killed a blonde woman, uh, police would look at their unsolved murders in that area, they would identify a blonde woman in that area, and they would say, oh, okay, that was a Henry Lee Lucas crime, let's close that case. Yeah. It was politically, um, and in terms of resources and allocating them, quite convenient for for the police. To me, this... uh... I'm such a little shit. Like, I I love being frustrating. I, I love just riling people up. And this part of their story mm. actually really resonates with me because I can't think of a bigger grift you could do on a um, sort of government level than to uh, 
What's the word? Confess. Yeah. Confess to hundreds of cold cases. Because these were also cold cases. Like, yeah. things that they had pretty much given up on It is. It is solving. incredibly hard to investigate a crime when you can't identify a victim. Yeah. Because, you know, vast majority of crimes are, are people who know each other. If you don't even know who the victim is, you can't even start an investigation. Where do you start? It's like when you don't know someone's surname and mm. you're trying to stalk them on Facebook. Mm. So you just type in James, you know? I'm fairly good at that. I can <laughs> I help you with that. I know all the gay listeners will be like, I know this. I know. Yes. I've done this before. Um, but yeah, what a, what a, what a grift. And I, I, I have to remind myself actually to be sympathetic to the families because... I think yeah. that's that's the actually the really shitty part of this mm. is to falsely um, kind of admit guilt to a murder. It, it does give some closure and, to to the families. And and for that, police should have done more due diligence. It was actually a lot of journalists um, yes. looking at the cases that both of them were confessing to. In particular, a journal, journalist named uh, Hugh Ainsworth. Um, looked at all the claims that were being made by Henry Lee Lucas and they noted the fact that uh, for that to be substantiated within very short time periods, um, both of them would have had to have covered like tens of thousands of miles across the country. They had to be efficient. They had to be superhuman. They would have had to have essentially just like killed in a town and then driven for like 13 hours and then killed again. And then like, so so it, it just wasn't reasonable that these crimes were committed by both of them. Yeah. So this is where we get to, we have this couple, Henry Lucas and Otis Toole. How many people did they actually kill? Um, and I've tried to look for the most authentic estimates that they are. Oh. And taken together as a couple. Yes. It is estimated that they killed between 70 and 150 people. That's actually higher than I was expecting. Yeah. So so these are ones that, that, that um, both Henry and Otis were able to give uh, information that you would mm. not otherwise expect them to have. Um, they obviously were not tried and convicted for all of these crimes because that would have been really resource intensive and they all had multiple life sentences. Yeah. Anyway, um, but that is the best estimate that we have between 70 and 200 people, which is a ridiculously broad estimate, um, but that is what we have to work with. Uh, both Otis and Henry uh, died in prison. On the 12th of March 2001, Henry Lee Lucas was found dead in prison of heart failure at the age of 64. Yeah. And on the 15th of September 1996, at the age of 49, Otis Toole died um, of liver cirrhosis. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a bit of a bummer end to their little narratives I've, so much of this is narrative based yeah. you know it, it's people Look, creating stories serial killers do not live uh hollywood lives no no although if there was going to be a hollywood movie i know there's been henry portrait of a killer but if there was an authentic Ho- hollywood movie movie who would play henry Lee lucas no uh, at all uh. <laughs> um uh. i'm thinking like will ferrell as Otis. Oh, but who would watch that? Will Ferrell is... It can be, it can be a comedic take. Will Ferrell is Otis. 
Henry. Um, who is the guy from No Country for Old Men? Um, Daniel Day Lewis. Da- if Daniel Day Lewis Lewis came out of retirement and played Henry Lee Lucas. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Timothy Chalamet can play Becky. Yeah. Well, like <laughs> you're right. To be completely honest, if they were ever going to make another film based off this story, it would be probably Zac Efron again. Oh, he, he was like, okay as Bundy. Do you think so? I didn't like. I didn't like the the film. Um, but, but that, that's what Bunny looked like though. He, I he guess, had a charm to I, him. I could not stomach that film. <laughs> I could not stomach it. I kind of didn't like it because they weren't, it wasn't gory enough for me. I didn't like it because it felt like a rom-com. Oh, it, that was it, the like, point though. Like it, it, it was meant to be about that relationship. I, I, yeah, I just, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with anyone taking this particular story as well mm. and trying to polish it up. Mm. Into if if you gave it to Lars von Trier or something, and you shot it on a handy yes. cam, yeah, yeah, and and you got like actual rednecks to play it, like just off the street, just off the street, <laughs> I'd be on board, and I think it's a story worth telling mm. as well. Um, How do okay? So I think this is kind of an interesting question. Um, yeah. Do you think? I mean, I, I think one of the reasons that we don't know this case and, and, and why it hasn't been as well publicised is because there's so many, like, maybe, maybe nots. Yeah. I think that's definitely a thing as well. But uh, something that, that that I think also needs to be dealt with, particularly these days, because people are worried about, um, uh, I don't use the word political correctness, but, like, the implications of certain representations, right? Don't say political correctness <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> You're asking for trouble. The, the, the implications of certain depictions. Yeah. Do, do do you think we would struggle if there was a movie made today about a a gay couple serial killers? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Um, uh, when I was thinking, because I I actually thought of this before coming in, and I thought, could you do a like Charlize Theron in Monster kind of pretty confronting gritty. I think- Eileen, Eileen Wuornos had sympathetic elements. But she had sympathetic elements. Although I have heard criticisms of Monster that they actually give her a little bit too much credit. Yeah. Like that she actually was much more of a sociopath than they were willing to accept for that film. I'm, I'm sure they they were, but they always you always have to spit shine mm. stories a little bit, I think, to adapt them to film. And this one's really hard to do that. And then when you couple it with the fact that they might be a part of a minority demographic, mm. uh, or as uh, yeah, I just think people would not be fond of this as a film. I, I would love to watch it. Yeah. Even from the start of this podcast, take off and like all the killing that happened afterwards, but... Think of the childhood of these two people. Fascinating. Um, that's something I would love to know more about and see. And it's a story I'd love to hear. Um, but We've started the narrative, though, yeah, in this podcast. Hopefully we get some sort of royalty check <laughs> for it. But yeah, I, I, I think it gets way too, way too grey. Mm. And... Um, yeah, the things that really interested me about this is 
also the motive isn't extremely clear. No. And and I, I think at least in some of the crimes, Henry Lee Lucas was motivated by, by sex. Yeah. Um, uh, Otis Tool, though, very strange. I mean, ostensibly yeah. cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, and that I think is one of the key elements to a horror film or like a, a portrait sorry that's so on the nose portrait of a serial killer is like motive yeah and why are they doing this we want an insight and and when it comes to otis there's not much insight there it really just seems like he killed because he was there and that's what was being asked of him or like that was just the situation and what he Uh, what he knew so many of these cases we just need to be comfortable in the gray yes and that's what this is, is just like a whole lot of grey areas. Thank you to Luke for joining me on this episode. Uh, check out The Gays Are Revolting uh, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a wonderful show and part of the Lip Media family. Uh, as always, you can uh, find us at Sinister Sissies on Twitter, uh, or you can follow me individually at Jared Bartle on Twitter. That's Jared with a Y. I'd like to encourage one of our listeners to be the first to contribute to the Patreon, uh, Sinister Sissies on Patreon. On there already are audio commentaries for Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and Salo or 120 Days of Sodom. Uh, There's also a video of me explaining the principles of the Church of Satan. If that interests you at all, please do consider becoming a Patreon for as low or as much as you'd be willing to contribute. It really helps out the show. Until next time, stay sinister.